0: Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew. We will be starting in chapter 21. The parable of the two sons is in verses 28 to 32. Now, this is what can be called a context-driven parable. There are some parables in the Bible that the context is... Uh, insignificant for the, the meaning of the parable. You can take the rich man and Lazarus, the story about the afterlife. It doesn't really matter to us when Jesus said that or to who because that eternal truth can be understood uh, just as the parable was spoken. This is a, a difficult time for Jesus. He has... Uh, gone into, he has done the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, in the book of Matthew. He has entered into Jerusalem for the last time, and he, he is praised as king. Blessed is the name who comes in the name of the Lord, they said. Then he cleanses the temple, which really put... Uh, the leaders uh, kind of on edge. This is the second time in Scripture Jesus cleansed the temple. Some commentators have said that the Jewish leadership was so corrupt and Jesus went to the temple quite often that probably every time he went, he cleaned out the temple. And then as soon as he left, they came right back in to doing their business. Then he curses a fig tree. Then in verse 23... He enters the temple and begins preaching in the wide open, for everybody to see. And it says the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. Now this is a different group of people than normally. Normally in Jesus's earliest ministry, he he would uh, be fighting against the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the The people who were amongst the people, but who had major portions of Scripture memorized. And they were coming against Jesus. Now, here you have the top guys, the chief priests. Uh, You're only supposed to have one, but because of the Romans, the Romans made a rule that a chief priest could only serve for one year. So instead of a lifetime appointment, the Jews had two of them. Annas and Caiaphas, and they switched off. They were father-in-law and son-in-law. And they would switch off every year to keep the Romans happy. So at this point in time, you had two. And that is odd, but that's what they had. You also had the elders. These could have been the Sanhedrin. These were leaders. These were people who made decisions for the Jewish people. And they are coming against Jesus. And what happens is, and when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gives you the authority? Primarily, they are probably talking about the cleaning of the temple. Okay, probably not his teaching. They considered his teaching rather moral. But to disrupt their money-making operation, they wanted to know what authority. And they were looking for, perhaps the Romans had put him up to this. And then if the Romans had put him up to this, they would stand off. Because if the Romans were behind this, they were the occupying authority. And Jesus says, I'll ask you a question. He said... If you tell me the answer, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, John the Baptist, where did it come from, from heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. And so they answered, We don't know. And then Jesus said, well, I'm not going to tell you either. Something interesting about this, and I praise God that he put in his Bible a political decision so that we can look at how politics destroys the Jewish religion. This is the the chief priest. This is the person that goes into the Holy of Holies in the very presence of God every year, and sacrifices an animal for forgiveness for the entire Jewish nation. Individuals would gain forgiveness. There would be other festivals where forgiveness would be gained. But once a year, because you can't remember all the sins you do, there's accidental sins. The whole country had unforgiven sins, no matter how hard they tried. And so once a year the chief priest would go into the very presence of God and the Shekinah glory would be there above the holy of above the ark of the covenant in the holy of holies and he would sprinkle blood and God's forgiveness would flow out of the holy of holies into the Jewish people that's the plan but the chief priest had become very political in their view now we need politics really we do in a representative republic like we have we need politicians to gather the views of the people to gather the money and to do things for example you want to have a new stadium you want to have a new freeway you want to have a bart extension you want to have things that you personally can't do you can't get a shovel and you can't start digging a stadium. And so we elect people, we hire people to represent us, and they, they test the views of the people through polls, through uh, uh, th- uh, ballot measures, through things of this nature. They figure out what the people want. Then they collect the money through taxes, and they do what the people want. That is the proper use of politicians and politics. Now, if it enters into church or it enters into the temple or it enters into your religious point of view, then it is wrong, then it is bad. Politics has no point in your relationship with God because what happens is these people are saying, we are afraid of the crowd. So they're afraid of the people. The high priest, the chief priest knew knew the, the answer to Jesus' question. They knew the truth about what the Bible said about John the Baptist. They knew about what the Old Testament talked about, Elisha coming, and John the Baptist was that representation. They knew all that was going on here, but they feared the people, and so they gave a politically expedient answer, which is, I don't know which is a dumb answer because that means they don't get their answer from Jesus. And so when we interface with God, we interface with God through his word and through truth as they should have been doing because that was the job they had. But they decided to see which way the wind was blowing, see how people would react, and they would react And do a godly thing based on what the people thought and how the people would judge them. And so Jesus says he's not going to tell them. And then he tells this parable. And the parable is about a person, a landowner. He has a vineyard. And he has two sons. He probably has more than two sons. But for this story, he has two sons. And he goes to the first and says, son, go work in the vineyard. And the son says, "I will not." But then he changed his mind. It says, the word for changed your mind is repented. He repented of that decision. He changed his mind and he went out into the field. He goes to the second son and says, "Will you go well, go work in the field?" He doesn't ask his son. he tells them, "Go work in the field." And the son said, will. Yes, sir. And he never goes. He doesn't show up. And so he asked the question, Jesus asked the question, which one did the work, uh, follow the work of God? Which one did the work of God? And the chief priests and the people say, the first one, which is the correct answer. It doesn't really matter what we say. Even though our words are important, it matters what we do. And if I say I'm not going to serve God, and then I get convicted of that, and I start serving God, that is a win. That is a following God at that point in time, and that's what Jesus is asking. And then he says... Uh, he says, which of the two did the Father? And he says, the first, and he says, truly I say to you... The tax collectors and the prostitutes will go into the kingdom of God before you. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to people who stand in the presence of God. He's talking to people who have major parts, if not the whole, Leviticus and Deuteronomy memorized. They knew every single sacrifice. When people came to them and said, I sinned, they would know exactly what to do and what sacrifice to do. And they would do it and they would gain forgiveness for this person who had sinned. They knew all the answers. If you had a question about an activity or your life and you wanted God's view of it, they were the ones you talked to. They had all the answers. And yet he says, Jesus says... Tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you who have all the answers. Now, who was a tax collector? A tax collector was a person who was either conscribed by the Romans or volunteered to help the Romans. They were a collaborator with the enemy, the Romans. And what they did was they collected taxes for the Romans, the way the Romans worked uh, previous nations like the Assyrians. The Assyrians would come in and wipe your country out and take all the people and put them in their army. That is how the Assyrians would work. And if they ran out of people uh, to put in their army or ran out of countries to wipe out, they were done. And that is basically what happened and why the uh, Greeks and then the Romans came to power The Greeks, with Alexander the Great, went and conquered countries, but then taught them to be Greek. They Hellenized everybody in the world, and so the Greek influence grew and grew and grew. The Romans said, I can do one better than that. Now that we conquer you, we're going to leave your economy intact, and we're just going to tax you to death. So you had all these countries, all these nations in the Roman Empire who had been conquered, but they still lived like they lived. But 50%, 60%, 70% of their economy was sent to Rome. Eventually, the Roman government got too big and they ran out of money, and that's why Rome fell. But at this point in time, Rome is still going strong. And they would conscribe, they would hire, they would force people to collect taxes for them. So that people like Pilate, the governor, would go and meet with the various tax collectors and collect all the money and put the money on a donkey and send it to Rome. And that's basically how they did it. Now, if you were a Jewish person, a religious Jewish person, you would see a tax collector as the lowest of low, a collaborator with the enemy, a tool of Satan you would see a tax collector as just an evil, 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 evil person. The word that was used in ancient Jewish literature for people like tax collectors was unsavable. God had such a view, a down view of tax collectors in their mind that they, any activity of salvation wouldn't apply to them. They were so low on the moral ladder that even God wasn't interested in saving them. They were unsavable. Then you have prostitutes. Prostitutes were people who had no other choice was seen that they were, they had turned themselves over to a life of sin, to a life of uh, anti-God work. And Jesus is saying that they will get into the kingdom of God before you. Now, you apply that to the parable, it means that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are people that God said, follow me. And initially they said, no, I'm going to be a tax collector, I'm going to be a prostitute. But eventually, and when John the Baptist came, as we shall see, they went, they saw John, they repented they got saved, not all of them, but some did. They got saved, and if they, are, if they pass away, they're going to make it into the kingdom of God before even the high priests, even though the chief priests. And then Jesus answers his question. If you look back up there, he said, where did the baptism of John come from, heaven or people? They said, we don't know. Jesus answers in verse 32, John came to you in the way of righteousness. That is Jesus' way of saying that John's baptism was from God, that he was sent from God. That is the answer to the question that Jesus asked the chief priests. And then he talks to them and he says, You did not believe him, John, but tax collectors and prostitutes did. If you read through the beginning of the Gospels, you have John at the River Jordan baptizing people. It was a baptism of repentance into righteousness. It was a baptism to signify to the world you were going to change direction of your life from being self-serving or money-serving to being God-serving. That was what John's baptism did. It was a baptism of behavior change. You had to make the connection between John's baptism and Jesus Christ to get saved. And what Jesus is saying is that several tax collectors and prostitutes came. They believed him. They got baptized and they got saved. And they will make it to heaven before the chief priests and the elders, and he says, and even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your mind and believe him. So they came to John the Baptist. They saw it changed lives. They saw John doing things that were causing people to go in a new direction, and they wrote him off. They did not accept him. They called him a crazy man. They called him a crazy man living in the wilderness with leather belt, and eating locust and wild honey. Now, there's a diet. But that's what John did, and they, they condemned him for it. And they're in the process of condemning Jesus. And so, what do we do with this? The first, The first most obvious interpretation is that your actions are more important than your words. Now, it's important to understand that what we say, because we can hurt people. We can lead people in the wrong direction. We can turn people away from Christ by what we say. But ultimately, what we do is what's important to God. How we live is what's important to God. We can get confused and say things. And, and many people that I have met entered life in uh, two people I know in San Jose currently. Two people Uh, entered life in a gang lifestyle. They were born into gang-related families and grew up in the gang families and the gang lifestyle and got saved out of that and left the gang lifestyle and is now serving God in a very strong way as a witness to those in the gang lifestyle. We don't look at his life and say... Oh when he was 10 years old and he was in a gang lifestyle he was stealing stuff he is clearly not serving God well sure at 10 at 10 years of age he was not serving God it wasn't until later when God got to him and he repented he changed his mind he changed direction and so he will enter the kingdom of God more than the chief priests and the elders because he He was going in a direction that was self-serving, that was serving people, that was serving power. And he said, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do this. I'm going to serve God. And God doesn't hold when you have sins at an early age or in the early part of your life. And then you get saved by repenting, turning away from that, turning toward God. You are washed clean of all those old sins. You will not be judged by what you did in your previous life. And a lot of people can use that for reaching out to people. Now, if you look at uh, people's words and their actions, for us as Christians, we say they need to match. And if your words and your actions in public and in private and at work and at church and wherever, all match, we say you have integrity. Integrity means whole. And if you are a Christian, no matter where you're at, no matter who you are with, we say that you have integrity. If you are a Christian here and you are a worldly person at work, and people have no idea that you're a Christian, and in fact they think you're a pretty rude person or whatever, then we would say that you are a hypocrite. Hypocrite is thrown around a lot. Hypocrite comes from the Greek theater. Back in the Greek theater, they wore masks to tell you their emotions and such, because they were big theaters, and they didn't have amplification, and so to show what... Uh, emotion was being expressed, they would wear a sad mask. They would wear a happy mask, and then the audience could tell. Now, if a character was really happy, it was a happy-go-lucky character, and he wore a sad mask, that type of character was called a hypocrite. It wasn't bad back then. It was just a type of an actor. It was a type of part to play. You played a hypocritical part if your mask did not match what your character was really doing. Today, we have people who will put on a mask with this group of people and a mask with that group of people and a mask with that group of people and a mask with this group of people, and we would say that they are not being, uh, they do not have high integrity as a Christian. They are actually being a hypocrite. When I used to work... As a computer programmer, I had somebody come up to me. I did my best to do things like read my Bible during breaks. I would pray before my meals. I would do my Christian behavior in front of people when I worked in that world. And a person came up to me and said, that's not how Christianity works. He said, the way that you have to do it to succeed is that you leave Jesus at the door when you come in. And Jesus has nothing to do with what we do in this corporate building. And then you pick Jesus up as you leave. And then you can be a Christian and a serving of Jesus out there. But you can't do it in here. And I found out that he was a leader in his church, that he had been saved for most of his life. He had been going and worked his way up in volunteer leadership of his church. And his view was, you can segment your life. And this part of your life, Jesus is not involved in. But this part is really, you know, Jesus really wants to be this part. And that is not the way we are led to believe, uh, to live in the Bible. We are to be the same no matter where we are. We are to be the same no matter what we are doing. And if you're reading through the Bible and you find something that you're not doing that you need to be doing, or God is leading you in a certain way by what you're reading in the Bible, then you need to be upfront with God and up front with other people, especially at church, and say, "Uh, I was going down a wrong direction. I've been educated. I've been led by Scripture. I am now going to change my mind. I am going to repent. I am going to change direction. I am going to turn around from that bad behavior and now start doing this good behavior. And according to Jesus, if you start doing that, you are following the will of God you are following the righteousness of God because you're always looking for what can be better and what can be more righteous and what can be uh, closer to Jesus in what I'm doing. And different people are convicted by different things. I've had people say that they were reading through the minor prophets, you know, uh, Obadiah and Joel and Amos and the small books, and their conviction was they weren't reading the Bible every day and that they were now going to start doing it. God can bring you in a direction that nobody, I mean, I can read those same things and I can get, I don't get that, but He did. The Holy Spirit was working and so as you're reading through the Bible, you can be convicted of and pointed in a direction that is special for that particular time And you need to grab a hold of it and follow it, repent of not doing it, and start doing it. Today there are people who will do anything to gain more power and money and popular acceptance. And they put on masks and they they look to see which way the populous wind is blowing. And then they follow that. And then when that changes, they follow that. And when that changes, they follow that. And if you want something more consistent, if you want something more solid, then it's Jesus Christ and His Word because His Word's never going to pass away and Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. At the end of time, Jesus Christ Himself will remove all masks, will expose all lies, will expose all plans and manipulations that we used to get popular opinion. And at the end of time, the only thing that will matter is our relationship to Jesus Christ. Christians need to be honest. Christians need to be transparent. Christians need to have integrity in all situations. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I thank you for this parable. I thank you that you have Bring, brought us to a place where we can actually make choices as to what we do. And I pray that you would teach us to always choose you. Nobody here is perfect, but you are. And I pray that you would continue to light, lead us, that you would continue to guide us, that you would continue to open doors and to show us. Lord, we ask all this through the blood of Christ. Amen.